0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another session of Entrepreneur RX. I'm really excited to have with me today Dr. Barbara Roscoe. She's a co-founder and chief medical officer at Claris Bio Incorporated. Now she has a really cool background. She's a serial entrepreneur. She's been on multiple boards and she's an industry leader. Uh, and has this great track record in kind of the global pharmaceutical drug and device development. Barbara, it's really great to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, John. Thank you for a very nice introduction.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Okay, so before we start, before we dive deep into this, because I think a lot of people are going to want to say, hey, I want to become, I want to do what she does. Give us your kind of background in in healthcare. How did you get started along that path?
1: So, you know, it's funny, I do get asked a lot, especially from young, you know, younger Ophthalmologists, bench researchers, but I don't have a PhD. I have an MD, and I always knew that I wanted to do clinical care and clinical research. And I was fortunate enough to enter a multi specialty practice back in Long Island when I graduated from my fellowship. I was introduced to clinical research at the time, and it was sort of the heyday for a lot of these topical eye drops for glaucoma. I was running the clinical studies as a principal investigator, phase two, phase three, phase four, really was never taught about drug development and out of the blue I got a call from a headhunter who was looking to hire someone as a consultant to help launch Macugen. Now Macugen was the first anti-VEGF that was going to treat macular degeneration and it was about to launch. Pfizer was located in New York. I was living in Long Island and they needed someone to come in a few days a week basically and help them launch the product and it was a great learning experience. And after six months of consulting, I decided that I really wanted to get more in-depth experience. And I joined Pfizer as a medical director.
0: Wow. Okay. So your background is, you went to medical school, East Coast?
1: Yep. East Coast at Columbia.
0: And then residency in ophthalmology?
1: Correct. At Columbia.
0: And then fellowship in... At Cornell, in glaucoma. In glaucoma. Is yep. that a year-long fellowship?
1: It's a year-long fellowship. Correct.
0: All right. And then, right out of that, you started doing basically investigation and then got pulled into Pfizer as a consultant.
1: Yeah. So I was seeing patients doing glaucoma surgery, running a practice for about 10 years before I got pulled in. And it was really interesting too, because again, we, as you know, we don't learn drug development. We don't learn taking a product from the bench into the clinic in medical school. So the learning curve was tremendous. And just seeing how a large corporate, pharmaceutical company thinks about developing a drug. You know, and we're always told that, oh, it's the dark side, but there's some amazing people within industry. I mean, I think right now what we're going through with COVID is a great example of how we really put patients first and really want to shape medicine. And they have money, you know, instead of us writing grants sitting in, you know, a research lab, there's a lot of money that's poured into research and some really good research to develop drugs.
0: Yeah, I think COVID and one thing it has done is shined I, what I hope is a positive light on different the drug makers because they rallied so quickly around the cause to get these vaccines out. Literally, it's, it's mind-boggling how quickly they did it. And, and they're clearly working. I mean, yeah, you know as well as I do, the patients I see who are sick, none yeah. of them have vaccinated.
1: Yes, exactly, so, yeah. So some
0: obviously working. Now, you're still a clinical adjunct at University of Utah, correct?
1: Correct. So like anything with industry, and this is sort of interesting too, is that unlike medicine where you set up a practice, and you see patients for 30, 40 years, and you're sort of ingrained in you know, your community, with industry, your job really does fall and rise around what drugs are being developed. And at the time at Pfizer, uh, the product, when I rose up in the ranks that I was responsible for, which was latanoprost, so there was, that was their $1.3 billion drug was going off patent, and it was basically a cliff, and they didn't have anything to fill up the pipeline. And I realized that I really wanted to stay in ophthalmology. Our whole family at the time was interested in moving west. And uh, we came out to Park City and I joined the University of Utah. And there, what's really unique too, and I would advise anyone that wants to do something like we've done, is be mindful of where you work. Different academic institutions actually have different policies. And some are very forward thinking where you can be an adjunct and you can see patients, but yet you can own and start your own company. Whereas other academic institutions are much more restrictive.
0: You know, you're the first person that has reminded me of that. So thanks for bringing that up. And that is so true. I literally talked to someone yesterday who was contemplating going to Mayo and it was back to Mayo and it was very entrepreneurial. And I said, so you know, here's what I understand about Mayo Clinic. They own all your IP, no exactly. matter what you do. And so that's a great point to bring up. Be careful where you're working and if you want to do something else besides medicine. And obviously, University of Utah was great for that for you.
1: Yes, they are. They're very much like MIT. MIT is another very forward-thinking institution where you can own your own IP and sort of have that joint position where you're an adjunct. And I I always love seeing patients. So it's been a really nice, you know... Combination or marriage?
0: Yeah, nice duality. Now, did you like going back to when you were in college or medical school? Did you think you'd be on this entrepreneurial path? Because you're you're kind of a hyper entrepreneur now. I mean, you're kind of in the big leagues.
1: (laughs) Absolutely not. Had no idea, and that's why I always preface it with. I sort of laugh to think when I started my first company and it was running a lab. And as I always say, I did not have a PhD. I do not have an MBA. I really learned a lot in advisor i also learned the business aspect and i think that's something that's so critical for anyone that's thinking about taking a compound device drug idea forward is you need to have there needs to be an unmet need but there also needs to be ip around it right and there needs to be a commercial path forward and there's so many great ideas that i look at and do due diligence on but they're either don't have the IP. So they're not investable. There is no, you know, the commercial landscape isn't actually favorable. So it really is this whole sort of mix of what's needed to bring something forward. It's just not the science. The science, of course, is important and critical, but it needs to make good business sense. And that was really something that I learned at Pfizer.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because I think a lot of people, and I guess I was one them thought, okay, you know, if I'm going to do this, then I have to have an MBA and I have to do this. Mm-hmm. But I think you bring up a really good point. There is so much information available now. You don't need to have the letters after name to be an expert. And like you said, you don't have a PhD or an MBA, and clearly you've knocked it out of the park.
1: Oh, um, thank you. Without, without either. I
0: mean, the evidence was there. And so that should be a great positive remark for people who don't like God. I do not have time to get an MBA, and God knows I don't want a PhD. But yet you've been incredibly successful without either one of them. Do you think being an entrepreneur has made you a better physician and vice mm-hmm. versa?
1: Absolutely. And I don't know if you've seen the same, but I think about the patient differently, even from a research perspective. I think I also have a much better idea and appreciation for systemic side effects from medications. Again, having been at Pfizer and just having to look at adverse events that even come from drugs that are, you know, not even in ophthalmology. But again, we were privy to that information. But I think it does, it's just, Yeah. You kind of think about the patient differently. And I also feel that my patients teach me. And I think that's one thing too, that's been really nice ever since I've been in industry, even starting at Pfizer, is industry realizes that if they've got an MD on their staff in their department, you know, really utilize them because they've got that patient interaction. You know, you pay a lot for market research, but if you've got someone that's actually seeing patients day in, day out. Why not, you know, take advantage of that and keep that person in the clinic seeing patients?
0: So it's been symbiotic. One yeah. they, they've each helped. They've each helped the other one. So let's talk about your new venture. Now, I have to say most people who had your path would probably not go out and do start a biotech company. What, what prompted you to do that?
1: So you mean the most recent one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I always say, am I going to do this again? Because as you know, it's a roller coaster. I mean, it is trying to raise money, you know, hiring staff, building a company, knowing what you don't know and learning quickly what you don't know. But I think it's the creativity. You know, I, I love the ambiance. I love the ability to learn and to start something new. And I've always been creative and I've sort of learned that about myself through the years, which is why I love research, because research is being creative, you're learning. And drug development is very similar. And this company. My colleague from Pfizer came to me and said, Barb, I've got this opportunity to in-license a compound. Would you want to co-found the company with me? It's, it's back in the glaucoma space. So we had some VCs that were interested. And yeah, it's been fun working with some really great people.
0: When did it start? And what's the thesis for the company?
1: So it was started in August 2019. We wow. raised uh, Series A. We got into the clinic within 18 months and we're currently in the clinic. It's lowering IOP. So it's indicated for glaucoma through IOP reduction and the sort of the sweet spot because it's a very competitive area. There's a lot of glaucoma drops that work, but it works on something that has not yet been approved and that it works on something called EVP or episcleral venous pressure. So it's sort of the back, you know, the backflow resistance to when the fluid drains in your eye. It reduces that. It reduces that. Okay. Yep. So it reduces EVP and that's how it lowers IOP. So that's a unique mechanism for the glaucoma space.
0: And when do you think this drug will be available? Is it, yeah, so, what are the next stages?
1: So we're currently in a phase 2A. We've okay. actually have three phase 2As going on, small pilot studies. And then depending upon what we see, we could go to a phase 2B where we have a little bit of a larger patient population. We still need to determine our commercially viable dose, right? We're looking at different doses. We're doing dose ranging currently. And then it would be a phase three. So, phase three is the longest study, the largest study, and hopefully, maybe within four years, if everything goes right, and many wow. millions of dollars later.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, and now, do you outsource the testing or do you, you we do, do the studies yeah. yourself? you outsource
1: it? Yeah, we outsource it. Yeah. There's some really uh, good CROs.
0: No, I've, I've had. it's funny. I've had a gentleman on recently who was a surgeon, and he basically said, you know what? You outsource the CROs. You, you have diverging rationales. They want the study to last longer. They make more money the longer the study lasts. He was a drug developer, wanted to be as short as possible, get all the data as possible. So he basically, they've in-house all their own. That's so,
1: interesting. That's a lot of work.
0: Yeah. But he said it literally cuts the drug development costs down by... Multiples and multiples of money. It was, it was very interesting talking to them.
1: No, that's a great. That's great if you can do that. We're still a very small company, so we're only about seven individuals. Wow! But we we have you know we're hands on in terms of the clinical the clinical work, but we do have a CRO running our clinical studies.
0: And so it's four years is, is that considered? I mean, as I read, it's usually eight to ten years from is four pretty fast.
1: You know, the phase three is going to be about a year long to start and to stop. So it really depends. What we did differently and what's unique about ophthalmology is unlike other drugs where you have to start off in what's called a SAD or a MAD. So a single ascending dose or multiple um, ascending dose studies in healthy individuals, in ophthalmology, we can go right into patients. So that you know, cut some time off right there. And generally our initial pilot studies are only four weeks of exposure to the eye drop.
0: Wow, and then you give them the drop, take it, check their pressure or is it just over time?
1: Yeah, to check their pressure. And sometimes you can see a, you know, see a response even within a few hours to a few days, depending upon the drug. So they're really quick studies.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. Now you said your last one, what other other startups have you run? Because I know you've been on a bunch of boards. What other startups have you started?
1: The other company I started was my first company I started, and it was called Jade Therapeutics. And we in-licensed a polymer, a hyaluronic acid from the University of Utah to help heal the cornea. So there, most of the money we raised was through the Department of Defense and the National Science Foundation, the NSF. So we got upwards of $3 billion between the two organizations over time to basically get the product ready to go into humans. And then we were acquired by a company called iGate. So then I came on board as the chief medical officer and we you know, moved the, the polymer into the clinic.
0: Wow. So that that drug is out in, in your time.
1: So that polymer got to a, a pivotal point of it was positive. So it was superior actually in our pivotal study. We went down a device path and the company is still, again, then it becomes a business issue at that point. So reimbursement path, how are you going to price it? So we finished the clinical development program and it was you know positive. So it was approvable. And the next step is submitting it to the regulatory agency. But that's also when I left the company to start this new venture.
0: Wow. So you did a TED Talk that was very moving and inspirational about your son who who had dyslexia. Can you tell us about that? Uh,
1: Which part? (laughs) The TED talk?
0: Yeah, well, what you're accomplishing with the 501c3 you set up. Because I I read through the brochure and you've obviously changed the lives of thousands of people.
1: Thank you. So, yes, so Joseph was severely dyslexic. Being a house of doctors, we completely missed it. We trusted the education system back in New York. To diagnose him and they missed it. They, and when he was in high school, freshman year, he was essentially failing everything. And he was always good at science and math. He started to fail math, and we questioned why. We learned after the fact that it was because it was word problems. And at that point, the high school basically told us he was not high school material. And we had to fight to get him tested, we had to, we had to hire a lawyer. We got his accommodations and he went from failing basically everything, being told he doesn't even belong in high school, to high honors, graduating with high honors, and then going on to Montana State in mechanical engineering on Dean's List. And it was because of the accommodations and because we had the resources. So when he was killed 27 years ago, he was camping with his friends. We just said there's got to be other kids like Joseph that are falling through the cracks, that maybe the parents don't have the wherewithal. They can't hire the lawyers. They can't fight with the school, and maybe we can help a few of these kids. So we've gotten to the point now over seven years, we've given, oh my God, about it's crazy. It's staggering to think three hundred and twenty thousand dollars to over a hundred students around the country. And what they tell us is, just they thank us because we believe in them and they they share the same stories. One girl in particular is graduating from Smith. She's been our student now for four years because we really want to continue to support these kids. Her dad actually was a lawyer. They fought the legislature system in Massachusetts for 12 years to get her the accommodation she needed. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's mine. It's mind-blowing. Wow. And I, I always say it's probably the hardest job that my family and I do, but it's just so rewarding because these kids are just so incredibly appreciative as and as are their parents, because they don't know where to go. They don't know who to ask. They don't understand the systems, you know how college works differently than high school for accommodation. So we try to help.
0: That is amazing. When I say thousands of people, it's probably tens of thousands. But you think of the ripple effect Of what those folks can accomplish and the impact they can have on others and the impact you had on them and their family. It's literally the pebble in the pond. and I just started smiling when you said your son went from flunking out of high school to mechanical engineering and killing it in college. What a huge range of upside he had. And he was never incapable. He just the systems weren't there to support him.
1: Exactly. And you know, and you'd appreciate this too, because again, you approach things as, you know, as a physician, right? So when he was in freshman year and literally slowly failing everything, he was having headaches, ringing in his ears, palpitation, shortness of breath. So what did stress. we do? We yeah. do a brain MRI. We send them to an ear, nose and throat. The cardiologist, the pulmonologist, it was all anxiety. Yeah, stress. It's depressed. Right. And these kids do have a much higher um, likelihood of having anxiety, panic attacks, depression, suicide. Because why? All they hear is, you're so smart but you're not trying hard enough and that's what we told him we like your teachers say you're so smart why are you not trying harder you clearly can do the work and he couldn't
0: wow and that is it's, really amazing
1: so yeah it's it's crazy how you're dealt cards and you've got to figure out how to play them right yeah make
0: the best out of them it's it's I mean those kids who have this must be so resilient yes At the end, because they've figured out ways to themselves manipulate the system so they can learn as best they can.
1: That's exactly what happens. They compensate until the work gets so hard that they yeah. just can't compensate. And these kids get missed. So we think the educational system picks them up in you know, grammar school, elementary school, but they're still getting diagnosed in high school and even in college. And unfortunately, by the time they get to college, they basically just drop out and quit. Yeah,
0: who can blame them? I mean, the, the system failed
1: them. System failed them. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And they're labeled. I totally
1: get And that. they're labeled. And the other thing that I, a really big pet peeve I have, and I think it's really important because as we talk about diversity, equality, disabilities across the board, there is such a range of visibility and acceptance at different colleges. So even in Utah, there's one college where you go in and the disability office is on the main floor next to the admissions office. It's bright. It's cheery. It has windows. There's secretaries, there's staffs there, you know, it's inviting. And then you'll go to another university and you can't even find the disability office. And it's in the basement, in the corner, no windows, no staff, dark. And what kind of message for anybody with a disability? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I used to laugh in college. I, I was bigger then, and I was, was throwing discus, and I was taking physics, and I couldn't fit in the little desk they had. So I told them I had test anxiety, so I get to sit at a table in a room by myself. But I had to go see a psychologist to prove I had test anxiety. And I've always remembered thinking about this as God knows I'm sure of a ton of disabilities yet to be discovered. But I had a fake a disability just so I could get out of this tiny little desk where you couldn't, I couldn't fit in.
1: You couldn't even fit in. Yeah. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. All right, so what do you say to somebody who wants to be you? Because you've got a really cool track record. And what do you say to somebody who wants to emulate what you've done?
1: You know, from the perspective of, I think if you're a researcher, so we'll start with if you're a researcher, the key thing that I've learned is don't publish. Talk to your tech office <laughs> first. Because again, as academicians, we are always rewarded, right? For publishing, but it can hurt you. Because if you've got your papers and your work published before you file your patents, your ideas are not patentable anymore because it's now in the public domain. So that's like the first key thing that if anybody wants to do something like this, make sure you talk to a good IP lawyer or your tech office. And I always say too, you can't expect to be the expert in everything. So like any company, like any business, surround yourself with people who compliment you and have the skill sets that you don't have, you know, the business side. I am not the business expert. So I work with business experts, even with drug development, I'm not the tox expert. Mm-hmm. So I hire a really good tox expert who really understands, you know, the toxicology side of drug development. But I think if you have an idea and you want to be creative, it's scary, but it's fun, you know, and, and talk to people who are like-minded. And there was a quote by Disney, which I always love quoting, and it says, you know, isn't it fun to do the impossible? No, don't don't settle for status quo. Ask why. Always ask why. And don't take no for an answer. If somebody says no, go ask again to somebody else.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I love quotes. I have quotes all over my office, and I've never heard that quote. Isn't it fun to do the impossible? I'm going to be using...
1: You're an entrepreneur. You get it, right? I
0: love that quote. Okay, you said something really interesting, and, and it's embarrassing that I actually took IP in law school, and it, it didn't ring until you said it. We're like, don't publish because you're right. Once you do it, it's in the public domain. It's yeah. just not yours anymore.
1: Yes, and you can't get IP around it. And I've seen several really good compounds not progress because there's, yeah. And again, if a VC is going to back it, they're going to want to know you know, the strength of the IP.
0: Yeah, totally. Wow. That's really stage advice. All right. I'm going to remember that one as well. Okay. So final question about resilience. Were you born with it? Did it develop over time and how important is it?
1: Um, I think I, to some degree, I was born with it. I always would make up my mind that I wanted to do something and I would try my hardest to make it happen. And I think within industry, I really learned, you know, when I say if somebody says no, you know, go somewhere else and don't take no for an answer. But it really is developing that story and making the argument and getting people to believe in you to move something forward. Right. And you need to be resilient and you need to be somewhat of a persistent fighter. If you believe in it, you've got to be the champion. Right. You know, if you're going to push something forward. Something, every project needs a champion. And if it's your own, then of course you're the champion. But it's it's a long, hard road. It's not easy.
0: But it's, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. And it's a lot of fun. It's funny, I, I realized what a stupid question this is. When I ask a woman in medicine, if she's resilient and when she was, because I think to be a woman in medicine, particularly those of us who graduated a little bit ago, you had to be tough as nails. Because, you know, I'm a six foot four male. I had a really easy, um, I think, a lot of women struggle with the total gender bias that even t- exists today. So uh, hats off to you.
1: Thank you. And you're right. I mean, you look at the board still, you know, they're trying to make a shift not only for women, but diversity and people and men of color and different nationalities. And we're still not seeing that on a lot no. of our boards
0: uh, and advisory
1: great. boards, whether it's a company board, an advisory board right? But I think it's coming.
0: I'm incredibly more optimistic than ever about the tide has changed.
1: I think you're right. I think it is changing. Excellent. Well, six, four. Did you play basketball?
0: I did very poorly. My vertical (laughs) jump is about two inches, but I threw discus and I, you know, I had a little bit of success in that, but only a little bit. Um, it was an honor to talk to you. So thank thank you very much. Where can people find out more about you?
1: Um, so they could Google me. They could reach out to me at the University of Utah. And it's Barbara.Rorosco at And then also at Cularis at our company.
0: Excellent. We'll publish that on the website. Barbara, thank you okay. so much. It was a real thank honor. You. Honor, to honor to talk to you.
1: Such a pleasure. Such an honor. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnschufeltmd.com. Thanks for listening.